our series of Vintage Christmas. Today we're going to be talking about Mary and Joseph. Now I have a question for you. I need your participation. I love audience participation, as you probably know. Uh, so I want to ask you a question. What, when you think of famous people, who do you think of? Who do you think of for famous people? Just throw out some names. F- famous couple, I'm sorry. Famous couples. Sonny and Cher. Excellent choice. Romeo and Juliet, that was Jenny's. Jenny chose that last night, yeah. Yes, tragic, great love story. Who else? Throw out some more. Who? Pete and Helen. Mr. Pete. That's right. That's, you get bonus stars for that. Come on, throw out some more. Who? Adam and Eve, yes. What about Trump and... His spouse, the current one, Alani. I don't know her name. So, uh, what about uh, the Obamas? Noah said the Obamas last night. Yeah, Barack and Michelle. There's lots of people. When we think of you know couples, maybe Brad and Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie, or or there's lots of different people we think of. You know, uh, like I said, Noah said uh, Obamas, and and in the political world, they're they're very famous. You know, they're they're recognized worldwide. What about in the Bible? You know, somebody said, uh, Dwayne said, Adam and Eve. Or what about Samson and Delilah? What about Ruth and Boaz? Uh, Abraham and Sarah. David and Bethesda. Uh, but perhaps the most intriguing people, or intriguing couple, has got to be Joseph and Mary. They're, they're, they're intriguing. They're, they're fascinating in their story. The gift they shared was God's gift of grace. They were chosen to be a mother and father to the Christ child. The, the, the savior of the world, God chose them to be these, these earthly parents to this, this child and this man. They're cho- they're, they're, the gift and the grace God gave them did not come without great price, without a great challenge before them. So today we're going we're gonna to look at their their. Family. And we're going to look at these two people. And we're going to be looking at. at uh, I'm going to need your. Oh, hold on a second. I'm going to take this off, Dave. Use this. We're going to be looking at Joseph and, and Mary's life. But I need your help with this. I need your imagination. I need you to. We're going to, we're going to look at this a little differently than we normally do. So I need your imagination as we look into this story. And in just a moment, imagine what it must have been like for them to go through this. To, to walk in their shoes, to have this precious gift given to them, and, and all these events happen. See, the, the Christmas story is remarkably known, right? When we, when we think of the, the Christmas story, most people know it. You take an average Christian, and they pretty much know the Christmas story. I'll even go in further and say that even non-Christians know the story of this, this young lady and this guy get to have a kid, supposedly from some miraculous thing, and they have it in a, a barn. That's, that's kind of what most people know. Most people know the basic idea of the story. You know? and, and they know that this, this kid that was born was named Jesus and became well-known. Even non-Christians all around the world will acknowledge that they probably know that story. 
And it's rather, the story is rather simple and subtle. The story is not real complex, not real deep in, in theology or, or real deep into some, some magnificent story that we, we hear. You know, some spiritual wonder. But yet, it's, it's, it's remarkably humble. It's remarkably innocent. And the story that they know is, is kind of naive to what really is going on. See, both Luke and Matthew walk through the story without a lot of fanfare or attention thrown around. When you read the gospel stories of it, it's not, they don't give us a lot of information. They just kind of tell us this little, this little tidbit. This is kind of what happened. Very simple story. Oh, there's, there's definitely amazing things and, and, and events that happen. But in the story, it's, it's just kind of simple and subtle. God seems to go out of his way to attract only a specific amount of attention to the story, a specific amount of details. He leaves out a lot of information, and he just gives us some, some small facts. See, he knows that, that eventually this, this story is going to be a centerpiece to the Christian faith. It's going to be a, a, a massive centerpiece to, the, to our lives. And we're going we're gonna to think about this, this beginning but while it, this played out, it seems to, God kind of seems to act almost secretly about it. He doesn't really give us a lot of information. But in the first chapter of Luke, the Bible says in, in verses 26 and 27, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Although this is kind of pretty much really all we really know about them from Scripture. We don't get a lot of details. They were just given this little bit about this young couple. But we can learn so much about them. One of the fact that, that they're from Nazareth is an important thing. The, they're from Nazareth is, a, is an important fact that we can learn from. See, the Nazareth was just a small town. It wasn't anything significant. It was on the side uh, near a, a Roman garrison, and it was basically a um, lot of bars and a lot of cat houses. And that's what it was. It wasn't, it wasn't a wealthy area. It wasn't known for anything. That's why you hear comments about, oh, can anything good come out of Nazareth? It's because it was recognized as this lower-end area that, that had prostitutes and, and bars. And these, these soldiers would come, and they would spend their weekends there, and they would party. And that was kind of their thing. That was really all they got their money from. or the, That was the source of income for that area. So Nazareth wasn't really a bright star in the community. It wasn't this elaborate place. We learned that from uh, Matthew tells us that Joseph was a carpenter. Carpenters back in that time would <clears throat> design houses. They'd build furniture. They would build tools to make houses and furniture. That's what their job does. And if he was anything like the average Jewish man around, uh, around that era, he would have probably gotten married around 25. That would have been normal. That was, that's kind of the average for them. And if he was an upstanding Jewish man, he would have gotten married probably around 25. So that's what we figured that he probably was around when he when he proposed to marry now we don't know for certain we don't know that for a fact but we can just kind of educated guess now mary on the other hand the typical age for that would have been about 15 16 that was the average age for a woman to be betrothed 
So both Mary and Joseph also came from this line of David. The 20, uh, 28 generations down the line of the King David. 28 generations. So they are both literally a match made in heaven. They both came from the lineage of David, which coincides with the promise of the king that's coming. From that moment when Mary and Joseph met, from, that, from when they decided to get married, they would be intertwined forever. It was a marriage made in heaven. Marriages like Mary and Joseph usually are negotiated and agreed upon by their family. So they didn't have a lot of money, so money wasn't really an issue. But they would, what they would do is the families would negotiate this, this marriage. And, and what would happen is, is they would get married, on, they would agree with this contract, and then they would stay separated for about a year to make sure that the bride was pure. Because if she showed up pregnant then she was no longer pure, and then she, that, that husband-to-be had the right to divorce her. And it was very important. So that's what they would normally do. So this, this betrothal period, see, they were already uh, together. They had the contract signed, but they would wait a year. And if the woman was found to be pregnant during that time, they would be put to shame. He had the, the husband-to-be would have the right to stone her at, at the gates for adultery. It was for them to uh, be betrothed. It was equal to marriage. So think of it in today's terms. You go down to City Hall and you sign your marriage license. And you're legally married. But you don't have your wedding for a year. And you stay living apart. That's kind of what it would be like today. So they, they, it's equal to marriage there. Since neither of them came from wealthy families... They didn't have to uh, uh, work out some negotiation like some of the wealthier families that would pay each other and, and trade stock or uh, livestock and money for this agreement. Now Mary was in this, this betrothal. She's, she's basically got the, the contract signed. She's at home making wedding plans. And they, you know, the Jewish culture, they, they love the party. They, they had huge parties. So it wasn't like they just, one day they go down to Vegas and get hitched. They, they, they had made a big plan. And it was a big deal. And so she's probably sitting at home making these wedding plans, preparing for her wedding. And then all of a sudden one day, an angel of the Lord comes. She's going over the budget and planning and who's to invite and what cousins to not invite and which uncles to make sure he stays away from the booze and, and who, what they're doing. And, and all of a sudden, one day, an angel comes. And she's naturally frightened. She hears this angel, she sees this angel, and she gets trembled. She gets afraid. But the angel tells her, don't be afraid. And look at what it says in verse 30. Through 33. It says, And an angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. He then explains to her that even though she's still a virgin, nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. The Holy Spirit came over her, and she was impregnated with God. The power of God would be contained in her womb. 
I'm sure when that happened, I'm sure a million thoughts came over her mind. Think about this for a second. You're, you're about to get married and you find yourself pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Imagine what was going through her mind. What is my parents going to think? Maybe why me? Why was, I, why was I chosen for this? I'm too young. I don't want to get pregnant. I'm 15. Maybe she's thinking that. Who knows? But I'm, I'm sure she probably wondered. Maybe, maybe what's Joseph going to think? Because she knows the consequences. She was raised Jewish. She understands that. I wonder what she was thinking during that moment. When we get to heaven, I would love to ask her, what were you thinking when you found out you're pregnant with the Son of God? How can this be? But her concerns were set aside and she surrenders to God's will. I love this. She just found out she's pregnant by the Holy Spirit. She just had an encounter with an angel. And now she turns around and she says, and Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your will. And the angel departed from her. She surrendered to God. She says, she's, now she's said, you know what? All right. This is what the Lord is doing. If this is what God has for my life, then okay. And she says, let it be. I will do it. Whatever happens. The Bible doesn't reveal her conversation with Joseph, but I only imagine what that would have been like. Could you, could you imagine you're engaged to get married and you come to your future husband and say, oh, sweetheart, I'm pregnant? Imagine that conversation, how that would go. It doesn't reveal exactly how he responded. Maybe he responded with anger. Maybe, uh, you know, maybe pain and suffering. Like on that, on that thing in the video we watched, you know, I'm hurting. Who knows how he responded? But I'm sure it was an emotional day. But it's just safe to say that it didn't go well. But the Bible says in Matthew 119, it says, And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, Resolved to divorce her quietly. Resolved to divorce her quietly. See, the, when we see that divorce in there, that also lets us understand that that marriage, that betrothal was very serious. For them to separate or, or to get uh, divorced, they had to have been married. So they consider that betrothal period a marriage. Oddly enough, among the colorful cast of people all through the story of the birth of Christ... We don't hear a lot about Joseph. Angels were singing. We had the host of angels coming. We saw shepherds and we have the magi. We have uh, the, all these different people involved. But yet Joseph is silent. Interesting. No notable lines. No, no key phrases that we look at in scripture. Oh, we, wow, well, look at that, what he, Joseph said. That was powerful. No, none of that. No sound bites, no quotes, no nothing. He was clearly brokenhearted and betrayed. But he loved Mary so much, so much, that even though she was pregnant with another man's child, and her explanation was unbelievable, and in his eyes probably blasphemous, Joseph could have had her stoned at the gates for adultery, and their marriage contract has already been signed, to break the engagement would have been the same thing as filing divorce. And despite this, this 
impossible story of, of divine conception that she's telling him. That's what he's thinking at the time. Despite the, the pain and the disgrace that he had with his, his wife, his beautiful bride that who he loves, to him it's just an ultimate betrayal. Joseph was a good man. And you know what he did? He didn't want to hurt her in return. He didn't want to go after her even though he could have legally. He could have done all these different things, but instead he didn't want to hurt her. And he probably would never trust her again at the time. But he couldn't bear to see her humiliated and hurt, too. So he planned on doing a divorce quietly. How many of us get mad at something or some betrayal and we want to we get vengeance out? Well, our natural instinct is to get revenge or, or talk about it to other people and slander them. We get, we get frustrated, especially if it was something as serious as this. My wife just committed adultery, and I'm angry. But yet he planned to divorce her secretly, quietly. What, a, what an honorable man he is. And we learn a lot for, about him based on that one simple act. So he, he hears this news, and, and he, he gets this news of his wife, and he finds out, and I'm now fast-forwarding to the day he finds out that this is going on. And think about him going home and trying to sleep that night. Anybody have ever had a, a major uh, decision to make or, or major tragedy or worry in your life, you know that sleeping is very difficult. You, you, you lay down and, and you toss and turn and you, and you worry and you stress and you, you get up and you go read and then you go back down and, and you just do all these different things to try to get your mind off of it, but it's hard. It's hard to face these things in life sometimes. And you know that Joseph, just finding out his bride has just, uh, in his eyes, committed adultery. You know he's tossing and turning. You know he's, he's frustrated and, and saddened and brokenhearted. So he's laying in bed. And look at what Matthew uh, verse tw- uh, chapter 1, verse 20 and 21 says. He has a dream. And it says... But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now, I don't know about you. I don't know about what he did, but I, again, use your imagination. He wakes up from this dream. He probably has a peace, maybe even an excitement. I don't know if he's sitting on the edge of the bed going, was that real or was that just me? Uh, who knows what he did? Maybe he was, maybe sat on the, on the bed and just contemplated and, and was amazed at this, this vision that God gave him. Maybe he ran down to the store, got some chocolates and some flowers and ran back to Mary saying, forgive me. I love you. Let's get married. Who knows? But Joseph took Mary as his wife, and, took Joseph, and Mary took Joseph as her husband. And this is where most stories, you know, end happily ever after. They're, they're together. But Mary and Joseph's whirlwind wedding was only the beginning of their journey. This was only the start. Joseph had decided to keep Mary a virgin until their child was born. 
Before Mary had the chance uh, to, to take Lama's classes or, or read uh, what to expect when you're expecting or, or any of those things, before she can do anything, the, there's a, a journey that they had to take. Caesar Augustus called for a census. They had, he set a decree to count the entire Roman world. And so everybody had to go back to their, their family towns, their family cities, and where they're from. And unlike the door-to-door census of today, Mary and Joseph were required to return to their ancestral heritage, their ancestral home to register, which meant that they had to journey to Bethlehem. The most current form of transportation during that time was a caravan. And and if all these people had to travel in the Roman world during that time, it was probably pretty easy to get a caravan. And a caravan was a lot safer than other situations. So you go in a group and you go in a caravan and you travel together. There's less injuries, less chances of bandits, and probably more enjoyable to be around a group of people socializing. And this, this... Caravan was probably very easy to get a hold of. And caravans usually travel around 20 miles a day. Between Nazareth and Bethlehem is about 80 miles. So that would translate to a four-day journey. So I want you to think, I need ladies, I I need your help. When you're nine months pregnant, what are some things you're going through? Throw it out. I know you got one. You're, I'm looking at you. You know, you have something. Congratulations. Just to name a few. How about how about your feet swelling, Jenny? Yeah, go to the bathroom every few minutes. Yeah. What what's that? Yeah, stop the donkey. Uh, yeah. What uh, what about you, Jenny? Throwing up. Oh. <laughs> First child, I used to be like, oh, honey. By the fifth child, I'm like, shut the door. <laughs> There's a lot of things you ladies go through for pregnancy, right? Uh, swollen feet, nausea, a bathroom. What about eating? The, eating the weird stuff. And, and, and sorry, honey, all I got is fishes and loaves. I don't want that. That fish makes me nauseous. I don't want that dry bread. You know, here, we, we're lucky. We can go to Taco Bell at 2 in the morning. But there, they didn't have that. So there's a lot of things. Imagine for yourself, just daydream for a minute, a nine-month pregnant lady walking 20 miles a day. The average person walks about three miles an hour. So three miles an hour, but a pregnant lady, probably not so fast. Maybe she rode a donkey, maybe she didn't. Who knows uh, the exact details of how she... Maybe she got the ride on, in the caravan. We don't know the details of that. But imagine traveling 20 miles a day like that, pregnant, nine months pregnant. The truth is, the Bible doesn't tell us anything about their journey, but it does tell us about their arrival. In Luke chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, Luke sums up the first Noel like this. It says, while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in a swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Could you imagine for a minute? Okay, she, she, so she travels all this way. She tries to find a motel room and they're all booked up because everybody's traveling. And it's the holidays. It's Christmas time. So everything's booked up. You didn't get that, did you? Christmas hasn't happened yet. 
So everything's booked up because of the census. And, and so they can't get a room. And so now she's stuck in this barn. They're, they're desperate. So they're like, okay, let's go to this barn. Let's lay down. Let's relax. And she's about to give birth. And she gives birth. Now, I used to have a horse. I've been around livestock my, most of my young life. It stinks. And if anybody's a horse into cattle or, or sheep or anything like that or been around it for any extended time, uh, it, they stink. Their smell. And can you imagine this, this stench and this smell in this little room? The, the, the urine and the dung, the mice running around. And she's giving birth to this. She's giving birth and there's cobwebs everywhere. It's nasty. It's pungent. It's nothing extravagant. But you know what? The king of kings was born here. There's nothing lower, no lower place that a birth can happen than someplace like that. Yet it was in these humble circumstances that the impossible happened. God entered the world. Mary rests. She just gives birth. She's probably not even thinking about the smell. She's probably tired, worn out. They didn't have epidurals back then, so she's worn out. She's laying there, coddling her baby, thinking about him. Now, I know when, I, when we had our kids, I still remember every single moment each one was born, that, that moment of just pure joy, that joy of just unbelievable joy. I, tr- I cried at every one of my kids' birth. I cut the umbilical cord at every one. It was just such an emotional, meaningful moment. As much as I love my kids, they're not Jesus. So imagine this. Here's this mom who just gave birth to the Savior of the world. The Savior of the world. And she's resting. Her baby's head is probably on her shoulder. Her son, her Lord, her majesty, her king. At this point in history, the human being that knows, who best understands who God is, And what he is doing is a teenage girl in a smelly stable. She knows more about God right then and there. She's holding him. She can't take her eyes off him. Somehow Mary knows she's holding God. She touches the face of this infant. She's listening to him coo. Do you remember those first cries of a baby when they were first born? They would scream like there's like no tomorrow, but it's just, eh, you can barely hear them because they don't have the power to scream loud. And she's just sitting there as a loving mother holding their child. The majesty in the midst of the mundane. Holiness in the filth of sheep manure and sweat. Divinity entered the world on the floor of a stable through the womb of a teenage girl in the presence of a carpenter. This is how Christmas looks through the eyes of Mary and Joseph. This is what Christmas looks through Jesus' parents. The, the story isn't over because of the, of the end of the nativity story. It's really just the beginning of the greatest story 
ever told. The greatest story ever told. And that's the story of Jesus. That's the story of God coming to us world in a stable and going on to be killed and taking the sin of our sin and the sin of the world on his shoulders. God the Father casted out his wrath on Jesus for our benefit. And that story goes on to not just experience it just in a book or a story or, or even a, a video or, or a movie or anything. It's God ha- tells us a story so we can experience it. So as we, as we prepare for worship, we're going to worship again in a song in just a minute. And as we prepare for this worship, I want you to think about that, how God wants you to experience Christmas like this. He wants you to experience a relationship with Jesus Christ. He wants to take the sin in your life and take it away from you. And he wants to bless you. But the only way to do that is to acknowledge the birth and life and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the only way to really experience it is to have a committed relationship to him. And to do that, you go to him and you pray. You say, Lord, I'm so sorry that I have sinned against you and I love you and I want that relationship with you. And that's how simple it is. And you, when you go to that relationship and you go and you talk to him about how much you love him and, 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 and you might not even know a lot of details. You're like, you know what, this is new to me. But I just know that I want a relationship with you. And it can be that simple. And he will come into your life and he will bless you. And he'll work in your life like he did Mary and Joseph. So as we prepare for worship, as we prepare this last time, Reflect on your relationship with God. Come to him in humility and love. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for the love that you have for us. And thank you so much for the story of Mary and Joseph. What a great example of of godly parents. And as a father myself, I think of Joseph and, and how much love and forgiveness that he had when he didn't understand what had happened. This was before the angel came to him. He was an honorable man. And Father God, thank you for that, that example of what a godly man looks like. And Father God, this young girl, Mary, who, fathered, or who, or who mothered Jesus and took care of him, thank you so much for her too, for being a godly mother, for raising him, taking care of him, and being there all the way to the end. Father God, as we go into our Christmas time, let us always remember what the real meaning of Christmas is. It's not about things or stuff. It's about Jesus Christ and celebrating his love for us and his birth, life, and resurrection. Father God, as, I, as we worship tonight, today in our final song, convict our hearts and our minds to you and teach us what you'd have us learn. Work in our lives And let us have a wonderful Christmas time as we celebrate Jesus. Amen. Please rise as we worship together.